hope you'll bear with me tonight. Um, got a good many notes that are kind of scattered around, so um, we'll hope everything will go well. They won't get shuffled. Uh, we're turning your Bibles to Psalm 83. Psalm 83. I think we'll just look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are just amazed by this book that you've given to us and the the prophecies that are here and the explanations of the days in which we're living so that we might understand the times so that we might know what your people ought to do, what we as your people ought to do. We thank you for this. And we just pray that you bless our study of your word tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our last several messages, we have been thinking about the truth of the word of God concerning the nation of Israel. You remember we've gone from Galatians 5 and standing fast in the truth wherewith Christ hath made us free that we might not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And we came to John chapter 8 where the Lord Jesus said, if you continue in my word, not only are you my disciples indeed, but ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So all of these things have fit together and we've been thinking about how they apply to the nation of Israel. We've looked at Psalm 83, and this is where we're going to start tonight. Uh, The definitive passage of Scripture on the situation in the Middle East. And we've seen that the people who are listed here, people who are the enemies of God, people who are the haters of God, are the same people who are the enemies and the haters of the people of God, the children of Israel, the Jews. And their goal in 900 B.C. is the same goal that their descendants, the Arab Muslim nations, have today. It's there in Psalm 83 and verse 4. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. And if our government had continued in the word of God, it would have known the truth. And in knowing the truth, our government would have made Israel free to deal with those that hate them and want to destroy them. In our last two messages, we have considered a question. And the question is, why are the Jews... Why are the people of Israel hated by the people and the nations? And when we say nations, we're talking about the governments of this world. And unfortunately, that includes the government of the United States. 
as represented by, represented by the Biden administration. Certainly the people, or the majority of the people of this country, don't hate the Jews. That was evidenced on Tuesday of this past week when some 290,000 people gathered in Washington, D.C. to support, to show their support for the nation of Israel. And one of those 290,000 was our own brother Vic Allen, who went up to Washington. That size turnout, I believe, says something about the attitude of heart that exists in the minds and hearts of the people of this nation toward Israel. I believe the majority of the people of this nation. So why is our government opposed to the nation of Israel? Because it's controlled by the principalities and powers. It's controlled by the rulers of the darkness of this world. And the result is spiritual wickedness in high places as represented by Joe Biden and the Democrat Party. That's why Biden and his Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, can say publicly that they support Israel, while at the same time working behind the scenes to undermine them, and in particular to undermine the government of Benjamin Netanyahu. I want to read you something from the Blaze Media, the article was written by Mark Levin yesterday. It says, in a State Department memo dated Monday, November 13th, Secretary of State Blinken explained America's posture toward the Arabs in Gaza. And this is what the memo by Anthony Blinken said. Quote, as I said in private and in public, we believe Palestinian people's voices and aspirations must be at the center of post-crisis government in Gaza. Notice there's no mention of Israel there. No mention of those people's voices. No mention of those people's aspirations in the face of this violent attack that was unleashed on. He goes on. We believe in Palestinian-led governance of Gaza with Gaza unified with the West Bank. Now, let's stop right there. Whenever you hear the term West Bank, that is Judea and Samaria. This is from the web website Blessed by Israel, and they give a very good summary of things that we know. But it's good to be reminded of. It says the name Judea and Samaria, quote, comes from the era of the kings of Israel some 3,000 years ago when the nation was divided into two parts. <clears throat> you, you can read about that, and we have read about it in 1 Kings chapter 12. The area north of Jerusalem was called Samaria. Ahab is called the king of Samaria in 1 Kings 21 and verse 1. Samaria was also a city. We read that in 2 Kings 16.24. It was the capital of um, the northern uh, ten tribes. 
the area of Jerusalem and south was mostly in the territory of the tribe of Judah. Judah is simply a variation of Judah, as is the term Jews. Judea and Samaria, they go on to point out, is home to many significant places that we read about in the Bible. Hebron, Bethlehem, Micah 5 and verse 6, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be small among the places in Judah, in Judah, yet out of thee, Bethlehem is in Judah. Bethel, Jericho, Shiloh, Shechem, and many others are also in Judea and Samaria, unquote. That land, folks, has belonged to Israel for 3,500 years. But our government will not call it Judea and Samaria. Because if they did, we would recognize that as being part of Israel we would understand that it does not belong to the Arabs. Rabbi Dov Fisher says something about the importance of using the correct name. He says, quote, Names have great power and meanings. That is why Israel's enemies call that region the West Bank. That's why. They want to cover up what it is. And why we should call it Judea and Samaria, unquote. So according to Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State of this nation, think about the Arab terrorists start a war with Israel and lose. But their territory is to be expanded. And Israeli citizens who live in Judea and Samaria are supposed to give up their land as they did in Gaza, they're supposed to give up the land that God gave them to Arab terrorists. Does that make any sense at all to you? Blinken continues, Gaza's reconstruction must be supported with a sustained mechanism. It's amazing the way these people talk. What that means is money. The sustained mechanism is money. Money that will be controlled by Hamas, just like they're controlling the fuel oil, just like they're controlling the humanitarian aid. It'll be controlled by Hamas so that they can finance their terrorist activities against Israel. Blinken goes on. We also underscored America's firm opposition to actions that would undermine efforts to build lasting peace and security. Now, here are those actions. No forcible displacement of Palestinian civilians from Gaza, a.k.a. terrorists. Not now, not after the fighting stops. No reoccupation of Gaza after the conflict. So Israel's going to win. But they can't have Gaza back. Notice that language, reoccupation. You see, that makes Israel the interloper. And it makes the Arabs the rightful owners, which is a lie. 
No attempt to blockade or besiege Gaza. No reduction in the territory of Gaza. All of this is directed at Israel. The winners in this conflict and the people to whom God gave the land, they they can't have their land back. Then Blinken addresses the terrorists, finally, after he's laid out all these conditions against Israel. No use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism or other violent attacks and no tolerating the use of the West Bank to carry out such attacks. No tolerating the use of Judea and Samaria. This is an example of how our country has not continued in the Word of God. And therefore, we don't know the truth, and we believe a lie, and that lie has become the official policy of this government. How can Gaza... How can Gaza not be used as a platform for terrorism and other violent attacks when it's inhabited by people, people that we've read about here, whose goal in verse 4 is to cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Now that's all Blinken says to the Arab terrorists. Now he goes back to addressing Israel. He says, no more violence from extremist settlers in the West Bank. Listen to that language. Remember what Rabbi Fisher said. Names have great power and meanings. That is why Israel's enemies, and the sad thing about it, is Israel's enemies are not just in Israel, and they're not just in Iran, and they're not just in Jordan and these other countries. Israel's enemies are in Washington, D.C. Biden and Blinken and, and the Democrat Party are Israel's enemies. But Rabbi Fisher said that is why Israel's enemies call that region the West Bank. And so here's Blinken again, not only using that term West Bank instead of Judea and Samaria, but he goes so far as to call the Israelis, the indigenous people who live there, he calls them extremist settlers. Extremist settlers. Amazing. Amazing words from the government of this country. And then he says, these steps are not ends in themselves. They must lead to Israelis and Palestinians living side by side in states of their own. You know, like they were doing up until October the 7th. With equal measures of security, freedom, opportunity, and dignity. Again, that's impossible when the goal of the people that are living next to you is to cut you off from being a nation. Their goal is to remove the remembrance of you, remove the remembrance of Israel from the face of the earth. So how is there going to be peace there? How is there going to be security there? And then he concludes with these words. 
That's not something we can put off discussing until after the crisis is over. This discussion must happen now. These final words, as Mark Levin says in his article, make it, quote, crystal clear that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is exploiting the Iranian-backed Hamas war to destroy the existing state of Israel through the use of threats, blackmail, leaks, the media, diplomatic backstabbing, the Arab states, the European Union, and the United Nations. This explains the current pressure campaign by leftists in Israel to try, encouraged by our government, to try to topple the Netanyahu-led conservative government and replace it with radical left-wing parties that will deliver Israel to the effective control of the U.S. State Department, where Blinken, a mere appointed cabinet secretary, will determine Israel's fate. That's the plan. Mark Levin is exactly right. But there's good news. Very good news. And the good news is that Prime Minister Netanyahu is no stranger to the Democratic Party's hatred of him. In his book, B.B., that's how he's known, B.B., My Story, he talks about the election of 1996. And in that election, he ran against uh, Prime Minister Shimon Peres. And Netanyahu says that in spite of Bill Clinton's outward civility, Clinton the charmer, Netanyahu says in his book that his administration would do anything to defeat me. In fact, they did. And the reason they wanted to defeat Benjamin Netanyahu is because Clinton, as the Democrat, Democrat Party believes today and wants today, is totally committed to the idea of a fully independent Palestine. Netanyahu recounts how, quote, Clinton sent his number one campaign strategist, James Carville, his pollster, Stan Greenberg, and his top team of experts to Israel to help tip the scales in Perez's favor. Special envoy Dennis Ross would later say, we did everything we could to help Perez. And Clinton's national security advisor, Sandy Berger, would also later admit if there was ever a time that we tried to influence an Israeli election, it was Perez versus Netanyahu. Think about that. Prime Minister Netanyahu adds, normally such an outrageous and systematic inf inter interference in another democracy's elections would elicit outcries of protest from the press in America and Israel alike. No such protest were heard. Totally supportive of Perez, the press in both Israel and the United States was silent. Now, in 1996, Benjamin Netanyahu won that election. 
He won it 50.5% to 49.5%. That's how close it was. And he said in his book, among the first to call and congratulate me on my election victory was President Clinton. B.B., I've got to hand it to you, he chuckled. We did everything we could to bring you down. Listen, but you beat us fair and square. Netanyahu says, quintessential Bill. I thought he wasn't telling me something that I didn't know. But here was the President of the United States admitting without batting an eyelash to a brazen intervention in another country's election. Things haven't changed, folks, in the last 27 years when it comes to the Democrat Party's hatred of Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu. It's going on right up to the present day, as we've just seen in, in this memo from Anthony Blinken. And the purpose of the undermining of this Israeli government is to accomplish their goals. A fully independent Palestine. But it goes beyond that, folks. It goes right back to verse 4 here. To cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. And I, I'm not going to leave out Barack Obama, Harvard Law Professor, Emeritus, Alan Dershowitz. He is a Jew and he is a Democrat. He summed up Obama's feelings toward Israel this way after he heard Obama say the other day that he called for an end to Israel's occupation of its own land, I would add. Dershowitz said, quote, I think he always had a deep hatred of Israel in his heart. You think? He did. He hid it very well. He called me to the Oval Office and he said to me, Alan, you've known me for a long time. You know I have Israel's back. I didn't realize, Dershowitz said, he meant to paint a target on it. And that's what Obama did when he and his Secretary of State, John Kerry, were allowed by the Congress to pass, to ignore, to bypass the treaty clause of the Constitution and pass the Iran nuclear deal. And that nuclear deal has given Iran billions of dollars with which they can fund Hamas and Hezbollah against Israel. And it's brought them, it's allowed them to develop intercontinental ballistic missiles. Mrs. Pond sent me this right before church. Um, this little headline, Iran has unveiled the Fatah II, a new Iranian-produced ballistic missile which it claims can travel at hypersonic speeds. Thank you, Barack Obama. Thank you, Joe Biden, 
Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu tried to stop that deal, and, and Donald Trump did. But thank you, Mr. Biden, for putting it back into effect. It's brought them, that deal has brought them to the brink of having a nuclear weapon to put on their hypersonic missile so they can do exactly what verse 4 says. Cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Now, this is the hatred that the Democrat Party and Obama and Kerry and Biden and Blinken have for Israel and the Jews. And the mind behind it all is that old serpent called the devil and Satan. The God of this world, he's the one who controls the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And, and he's the one who is in charge of, or charge of the spiritual wickedness in high places. He's the instigator of the hatred of Israel and the Jews by this world. Because as we've seen, uh, we didn't turn to it tonight, but in Romans chapter 9 and verse 4, to Israel pertaineth the giving of the law, the written word of God, and it is through Israel as concerning the flesh that Christ came. Who, who Paul says in Romans 9, 5, who is over all. He's God. God was manifest in the flesh. And his name is Jesus Christ. And it's through Israel as concerning the flesh that Christ came. Who is over all. God blessed forever. The eternal God came into this world through the nation of Israel. And the whole purpose of Satan was to prevent that. This is a passage of scripture that I wanted us to, to look at last Sunday night, but we didn't have time. So keep your place here in uh, Psalm 83, because we want to come back here in a few minutes. And turn over to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. This, as we have been taught in this church, is the nation of Israel. Verse 2. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. The child that Israel was carrying and travailed in birth with and pained to be delivered of was the Lord Jesus Christ, the man-child that we read about in verse 5. The man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up unto God and to his throne. Now look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, 
And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon, the dragon, we're given the identity of the dragon in verse 9. He is that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. And the dragon, back to verse 5, or verse 4, the dragon stood before the woman, Israel, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is the hatred of Satan for Israel and the Jews. This is the history of the Old Testament down to the birth of Christ that we talked about in, in some detail last week. And it's summed up in these 24 words. Satan's plan was to devour the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, who would come through the woman, Israel, and bruise the head and destroy the serpent through his death on the cross of Calvary. This is why the dragon is standing before the woman, before the nation of Israel. And all through the Old Testament, as he stood before the nation of Israel, his purpose was to destroy them, to prevent this man-child, to prevent the Lord Jesus from going to the cross. But Satan failed. The Lord Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And that's what we read in verse 5 here. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. But this man, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So Satan, the dragon, failed to stop the cross. And so the hatred of Israel and the Jews ends, right? Wrong. Look at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now, we understand something here. We understand that the context here is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. We, we, we find that here in verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time, that's one, times, that's two, and a half time, that's three and a half years from the face of the serpent. So we understand the context here. The primary context is, is in the, the, the great tribulation, the final three and a half years. But folks, Satan's hatred of the woman, Israel, has never abated. It's never abated. And his persecution of Israel has never diminished. And for the reason that we see here, Israel brought forth the man-child. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. 
the word living, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Israel, as we have talked about from Romans chapter 9, brought forth the word written, the scriptures. And why does the dragon, why does Satan hate the scriptures? Because they are they which testify of me. That's what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 39. Search the scriptures, for they are they which testify of me. Luke tells us in Luke 24 and verse 27 that in all the scriptures are the things concerning himself. This is why the dragon is persecuting Israel today. Because she brought forth the man-child, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she brought forth the scriptures that testify of this man-child. That tell us there is salvation in no other. There is no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's paid the price. He's bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we trust Him as our Savior, He uh, saves us to the uttermost. He saves us to the uttermost. This is why the dragon is persecuting Israel today. And His purpose and His plan have never changed. Psalm 83 and verse 4. We, just, we keep talking about that, that verse, but it's such a critical verse. This is the words of these peoples who are the ancestors of the Arab Muslims of our day. And their words were, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. But over and above them, that is the plan and the goal of the dragon of Satan. And so this is why we're seeing what we're seeing in the Middle East. The dragon persecuting the woman which brought forth the man-child. But there's something that we need to understand. And it's very important. It's not just Israel and the Jews that the dragon is angry with. Look at verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman... That's Israel. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. And who is that? Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's believers. That's believers. Those who are Abraham's seed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, the primary context is the tribulation. And we aren't going to be here in the tribulation. But folks, the hatred by the dragon of those which keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ is not limited or confined to the tribulation. It's on display in this country right now. Christians hated. Why? Because they take a stand against homosexuality. Because they continue in the word of God. And they take a stand against transgenderism. They continue in the word of God. And they take a stand against abortion. All of these things. 
Christians now are hated. I was reading a little article about how the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is under attack in this country. And these things are going to intensify if we continue in the Word of God and know the truth and proclaim the truth. Get it outside of these four walls. It's the truth that can make men free. Now, I want you to go back to Psalm 83, if you will. There's a part of this psalm that we haven't read yet. The people of this nation need to stand with Israel. I think we're all thankful for the 290,000 people who went to Washington on Tuesday. I want you to think about something. Every one of those people who went represent hundreds who didn't go, but who agree with standing for Israel. I want to use Brother Vic as an example. Brother Vic went, and he represented the other 750 or so people from this church and school who could not go. Now, if you take that math, those 290,000 people represent the views of 217,500,000 Americans. That's roughly two-thirds of the population of this country. Somebody says, well, that's just arbitrary math. Well, it may, it may be more than 750. It may be more. I thought, okay, we got 250 or so people here in this church. We got about 250 kids in our school times two parents. That's another 500 people. That doesn't even take into account the other um, tentacles of this church. So let's just take the 750. That comes up to nearly two-thirds of the population of this country. And folks, the Lord saw that. And he knows the sentiment of the hearts of the people of America toward Israel. And I believe he'll bless that. And he knows something else. He knows that we're being ruled over by the heathen. But folks, the Lord wants us to do something about that. He wants us to do what we can to vote these heathen, I'll say it, Democrats out of office. And it's imperative that we do that. And it's imperative because of the peril that this nation is in if we don't. Look at Asaph's prayer. If you look up under the um, psalm number here, you find that it is a song or Psalm of Asaph. And it gives history, but it's also a prayer. Look at verse 9. And we ought to think about this prayer. This prayer is in the eternal word of God, and so it's forever settled in heaven against these Arab Muslim nations and all who would aid them. Look at verse 9. Do unto them as unto the Midianites 
as to Sisera, as to Jabin at the brook of Kison, which perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, yea, all their princes as Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. O oh my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth the wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. I, I personally think we're seeing some of this kind of judgment in our country. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. That prayer, still in effect. It's forever settled in heaven. Folks, this nation is in a mess. We need to do something about it. It's going to be a year before we can. But when that time comes, we need to do something about the leadership in this nation. It needs to change. Well, our time is gone. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together tonight to look into your word, to see the, the accuracy of it, to consider the love that you have for your people, Israel, and the love that you have for Abraham's seed today, your people, the church. And Father, we just pray that we would be faithful to stand for you, to stand for Israel, to stand for your word, continue in it, that we might continue to know the truth that we might continue to be free in this country and that we might continue to give the message of freedom to the people around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.